Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast, powered by Go Tennis. Check out our calendar of Metro Atlanta tennis events at letsgotennis.com, where you can also find deals on equipment, apparel, and members get 10% off our shop. So get yourself an Atlanta Tennis Monsters shirt or even the Daniel Medvedev Lacoste shoes at 25% off for paid members. In this episode, we talk to David Stoley and Stuart Russell of UTA, Universal Tennis Academy, who has been a staple of Metro Atlanta tennis for over 25 years. UTA manages multiple locations throughout Metro Atlanta, has a history of helping the city of Atlanta with city facilities, as well as helping private clubs grow and improve. David and Stuart walk us through a bit of the college recruiting process, but more importantly, we learn more about what is necessary to prepare your young player for the recruiting process. Have a listen and let us know what you think. Good morning. This is Sean Boyce with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. We have an exciting morning. We're a few minutes late getting going because that is the nature of what happens with live things. And we don't mind, but I appreciate anybody who's actually paying attention. In this case, today, we bring in Bobby Schindler as usual, but we're in the same room at the same time, which doesn't happen all that often. And we are honored to have David Stoley and Stuart Russell with us today from Universal Tennis Academy. And they are going to talk about all the cool stuff they do as well as catching us up on some college recruiting information, which is kind of a year-round process from what I can tell. It's not just, not even that. I just say the kind of thing, my child just turned one year old yesterday, so we're already starting him on the career path, so we're going to get him going, but I think that's a longer-term plan, and we're going to find out from David and Stuart some ways to get him started. But if you're interested in your kids playing, they, you think they're good, checking out their UTR, you start having those questions and say, hey, can we play some college tennis? We've talked to Billy Pate previously. We've talked to Luke Jensen. We've talked to some others about the college recruiting process, about how UTR is used, as well as how our local coaches are integrally, integrally, is that integrally? integrally? They're integral to the process of, of getting those kids to be able to play college tennis. And we brought in two of the most competent that we know to have this conversation. So, Bobby, good morning. I appreciate you actually being in the same room at the same time. It's good to see everyone. Thanks, guys, for coming out. We appreciate it. I appreciate yourselves. Yeah, yeah thanks, David and Stuart. So we will start. If you don't know David and Stuart, they are UTA, which is Universal Tennis Academy, but they work for Universal Tennis Management is the management company that handles that. The academy is the on-court presence. Correct me if I'm missing anything. I think it's fairly straightforward that way. You guys manage nine facilities currently. Is that right? You've had as many as a couple hundred in the area. So you've uh, we do. You, you've <laughs> yes. been around. Yes. Uh, and since the mid-90s, catch me up. David, David, catch me up on kind of where you started. You bought a property and ran a club and then took over the world. Well, took over the Atlanta world from there, right? We're just trying to make tennis better. So, um, yes. So we started back in 1996. 
Um, we worked at a couple of clubs, and then we bought our first facility, Chattahoochee Plantation in Marietta in 1997. And then in 2009 um, was when the city of Atlanta was needing some help managing their tennis centers. They were estimated to be losing over half a million dollars a year, and when the recession came, they were either going to have to start shutting down some of those facilities or they needed somebody to come in and, and help them with it. So we looked at it as an opportunity to, one, help the city, two, grow the sport, uh, three, create jobs at a time when people were losing jobs. And then from there, we kind of turned it into the, a, a management company um, where, you know, as you mentioned, we have many locations around the city and <clears throat> we all enjoy teaching. I mean, that's a part of our lives. And so, yes, there's a management component um, but the biggest part of what we do is, is the teaching from complete beginners, you know, five-year-olds to, um, you know, kids that want to play in college to, you know, to adults, to senior citizens. You know, we kind of run the gamut as far as, uh, you know, who we teach and, and where we teach. But as far as where I got into the college recruiting side of things, um, I grew up in Boston. I went to school at the University of Virginia. Didn't really have somebody help me that much with the process. And when we started our academy down here, um, <clears throat> several of our original kids had interest in playing in college and you know our overall goal is to try to create things that we didn't have kind of in, as a junior so um, college recruiting process was one of those things and you know we've learned that if you spend two years four years six years eight years you know with a family it's always nice to be able to help them with the process and then hand them over to a program where you feel like they're going to continue to grow as uh, as tennis players but also as, as people. And I like that a lot. That's the the concept of what's the phrase we use, Bobby, is making tennis, making Atlanta tennis even better than it already is. And be better, be better. <laughs> That's going to be our new tagline. Be better. <laughs> yeah. And it's the kind of thing where the the podcast is trying to do that. We try to do that with Go Tennis. It's are we are we actually doing something good mm -hmm. for Metro Atlanta tennis? Are we are we helping somebody rather than just going out teaching, making money? And I I feel like. I don't typically work on feel. I typically work on numbers, but I feel like UTA is the type of organization that is doing its best to help Atlanta tennis. Is that is that a, an easy thing for me to say, Stuart? Is yeah. that yeah? Um, you know, we we kind of let the customer base at all of our different sites kind of dictate. Each each one's going to have some different demands or di different specialties. So in, when David spoke about, you know, whether it's an adult population that's looking for more or whether it's the juniors that are looking to play college tennis, you know, came from a, a background where when I grew up in, in as far as tennis, I mean, way back in the day, um, you know, one of the aspirations that I constantly heard whenever I was t in the teaching profession and I want to play with, I want to play professional tennis, I want to play professional And, you know, the reality is, and I haven't done the numbers, but how many kids you know, that are getting involved in tennis are actually going to play at that elite level. And, you know, finding the pathway is, is a tricky, tricky, because every different customer base, whether it's by where they are demographically or whatnot, there's going to be different needs. So UTA providing this as a service, you know, some of our facilities, it's not necessarily needed because the focus, and there's nothing wrong with it, could be more on the recreational players who just, their aspiration would be to play high school tennis. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but uh, what I what I find intriguing in the enti entire thing with UTA especially is same thing with David. You know, I grew up actually it was I was actually a men's tennis coach at Ronald College where I graduated from. Uh, I got actually anointed my senior year, 
And the same kind of an idea. I didn't, didn't know what I was doing. I was getting thrown into the college tennis, but I found the passion for that team activity in this individual sport. And I'm finding that more, whether it's kids who want to play high school tennis or whatever. I have not seen a junior tennis player that hasn't relished in an opportunity to play. They, like, they love doubles and they love team events. And we're talking about an individual sport in tennis. So the idea of blending it has been a passion of mine. And I know it is of David's, whether it's on the college side of it or just in general. Um, the team concept and having it, you know, whether it's with UTA. I mean, we're, all, we're a team. We're not just on an island by ourselves as individual pros trying to figure out what's, gonna, you know, what's the best bang for our buck. It's what does our market or our customer base dictate and therefore can we provide this service through them. And I want to stick with that team idea. And David, at some point, we'll get back and say at some point, the next thing I want to do is talk about the actual recruiting process, because that really didn't exist when I was in high school thinking about going to college. But sticking with Stuart on the idea of the team atmosphere, Bobby and I have worked hard with Joel at T2, and we've created a new league focused on that team atmosphere. It's a flex league for the high school kids. And it's mm -hmm. not college recruiting. It's These are kids that don't have a UTR. They don't have a USTA rating. Right. They may just learn how to play tennis and they want to make the high school team. But I think what they want to do is they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And tennis doesn't always offer that. Tennis offers, I love this, my favorite story, is the 10-year-old with the bag as big as him in the, in the tournament. And he walks, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Hi, I'm Sean. I need to check in. for. I love that. Yeah. I love that about the individual sport and how that creates that badass kid, you know? And that's the team atmosphere is, is different. It brings that kid into playing with his friends mm -hmm. and having a great time. And Stuart, you're big on promoting the team atmosphere, whether Huge. it's high school or college, and, right. and what that means yeah, my, to tennis. My background's been specifically with team. I have two kids, uh, fairly accomplished. Um, I had a daughter who played Division II soccer. Again, team sport. And I have a son who has never picked up a tennis racket and was a very accomplished uh, Kennesaw State baseball player. Uh, came through the JUCO ranks and then was able to be very accomplished at the Division I school in baseball. Again, another team sport. Um, so I basically took that mindset and then me coaching in college. Um, tennis was more of a team, at team atmosphere. I started uh, years ago, I participated in all the USTA function zonals, uh, zonal competitions that they did. And then one of the ones that st stands out to me that I did was the inaugural season of the National Spring Team Championship, which was in Mobile, Alabama. Scott and Lorraine Novak put on a phenomenal event and started, I want to say 2015. I could be off a little bit the first year in its existence, and I started that inaugural season, and that was an opportunity for me to get a feel for the kids coming from the highest level kids, level one tournament. So the highest level kids coming all over the country. What was very intriguing about it was the idea of how much they, those individuals that had aspired to be the top in their, whatever region they participated in, how much they enjoyed the team aspect of an event rather than then just going out there and either winning or losing on their own. Um, and it was an event that was near and dear to my heart. I started as my inaugural season and I did it all the way up until the last season, which, which I participated in just prior to COVID. Uh, won a gold, gold ball uh, as a coach, which was, and it kind of went out on top, which was great. Nice. But the, I, I keep in touch with what was great about it is I, 
it's amazing how I kept in touch with so many of the kids that, whether it was zonals and whatnot, through the years. And it was simply because of the team environment. It had nothing to do with their individual. I wasn't that lightning rod coach. I do have a lot of energy on the court. But when these kids come, they all know how to play tennis when you're playing at that level. But it was amazing to actually decompress for a minute and watch them actually lose a tennis match, but stay and cheer on their teammates just like in any other sport. My son, who is a very accomplished baseball player, had to sit his first couple of weeks uh, playing at his Division I school. What are you going to do? Are you going to cheer on your teammates or are you going to sit there and sulk? And I found, you know, with tennis on the individual aspect, and then, you know, he gets his opportunity. If you get your opportunity, you're hoping that you put on a good show in front of the coach that when they do give you an opportunity, not only you but the rest of your teammates are going to recognize that you, were that you had their back whenever they were doing it. And I think something that's lost in the junior tennis circle a lot, and I, I just have a passion for the team aspect of it and blending this idea of this individual sport and make it more of, whether it's high school tennis or whatnot, you know, the team aspect of it is just something that's near and dear to my heart. And Bobby, you see that a lot because you've got a local high school that plays at your facility. It's just an amazing atmosphere, even at the high school level, the yeah. kids yelling and screaming. It is great, and it, 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 I think we're in a, a really transitional time with tennis from the perspective of the, the old guard, the old 50-year-old white guy who grew up, unfortunately, in a more individualistic sport. I, I like Stuart. I came out of baseball, so everything I did was team that tennis was introduced later, and I always felt like an outcast because I didn't have come from that mentality. I came from... A group of guys and we we cheered for each other and i think it's great and i, and I love what you guys are doing and i think we're, we're seeing it a change in the conversations we've had with with luke jensen billy pate and and i know you know austin smith austin smith one of the things he talks about not liking the pro tour was not having teammates mm -hmm. you know and and the, the frightening numbers of how many of those kids who train their whole lives to play college tennis then quit altogether that 70 to 75 percent of d1 tennis players never pick up a racket again and you know th that's not healthy you know and I think that the more we can incorporate what you're talking about this this idea that we're going to root for each other I think we're seeing it on the, the professional level the success of the Labor Cup uh, I, I like the changes they made to the Davis Cup you know making it more of a, a weekend tournament type thing right. I, I think those are all things that are going to benefit and it's going to grow the game and it's going to get as, as we're trying to do with the team you know not ignore just focus on the highest level players, there's a lot of recreational players that are going to help grow this game that are going to play high school tennis and, and probably not play it collegiately again, but that's okay. If they go to college, there's now club teams. It's better than doing what we were doing, which was hanging out in bars. So, I, you know, I, I think all the stuff that is going on is only going to be a positive, not only for the kids growing up, but for the growing of the game. So, and I, th I think that's one of our biggest challenges, though, is it is an individual sport yes. and we lose a lot of people to you know, basketball, you know, baseball, you know, soccer to all these because they want to be with their friends. Yeah. I mean, kids want to be social. So one of our challenges is, you know, how do we make it? You feel like you're part of a team. So like when we travel to tournaments, you know, you feel like you can warm up with people and you can get to root for people, you know, even though it is an individual tournament. I do think one of the things tennis offers that maybe some of the other sports may not is you get to go to drills and practice with you know, different age groups, different genders. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we try to focus on, you know, in an academy setting is, you know, the old kids used to be the young kids. And when they were the young kids, you know, the old kids hopefully looked out for them, knew their name, you know, spent some time with them. 
and you remind those kids, hey, one day you're going to be, you know, one of the older leaders here, and and this is what's going to be, you know, expected of you. And you know, it's funny because when every everybody always wants to be playing with somebody better or somebody <laughs> older, we and, have that conversation and, all the time. And right? then we have to remind people, <laughs> yep. well, um, there's somebody on the other end of the net that is obviously not thinking the same way you are because they're hitting with your child. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those. Um, you know, building the team unity in a in an academy or a drill setting is something that's important, you know, to us. No question. And we're talking about the, the cultural aspects of it as far as we're seeing it where we're up, up in Forsyth County where there's going to be 70 to 80 kids trying out for these high school. It's no yeah. longer we have three tennis players and we're looking for eight warm bodies to mm-hmm. have a tennis team. So there's competition now. And it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches adapt to it to make and start, because I hate to say it, it's not, tennis players get away with a lot more than what you'd get away with on a football team or a baseball mm-hmm. team. Well, I can't come to practice today, I have this. Yeah. Well, then you're not playing. You know, yeah. you're coming, if you're making, because it's bigger than you. It's a commitment to a team. Yeah. And, and you're, I understand you have other things going on in your life, but if you've decided this is something that is important, you can't judge it, how it affects you because there's, there's 12 other people on it. So it, it'll be interesting to see how tennis transitions, especially in our area, as the popularity has gone up so much, where it's no longer, hey, I'm going to make the tennis team. Mm-hmm. You're not going to make the tennis team in South Forsyth at Lambert just by walking out. There's going to be 40, 50 kids going home disappointed each year so mm-hmm. it, it's, it's going to be on the coach to create that atmosphere and to go to like you said when you're the young kid or you're the borderline kid you better be trying the hardest mm-hmm. you better be picking up the most balls you better do something that the coach sits there and says the, the, the rudy for lack of a better yeah. word i might he might not have the size he might not have the ability but if the guy who does have the size and the ability worked as hard as that child that's how you make a star so yeah and yeah, i think was, and it, oh go ahead uh, that was one one of the things that you know I'm I'm showing up at this national spring team ter- tournament and I consider myself to be more of a tutor than I did a teacher. The kids that were showing up there, the best of the best, already know I'm not going to be able to all of a sudden have hula hoops out there and make them a better tennis player for that week during said event. But what I am going to do is going to create a culture. Yes. And what I found fascinating is the first year I did it, which was the in- initial phase, and I, I learned is like. How much involvement can I actually have as a coach? And with the typical kids at that level, what I found were they lost their match, and the first thing they did was they left to either have a discussion with their parents or whatnot. And I was like, hey, there's going to be one rule that I'm going to have. You are staying there until this match is completed. You are cheering on the rest of your team because your point counts just as much as Johnny's or whatnot. And me being judged as a coach this week is how our team does, not how you do. And I was fascinated okay, how many kids still would want to walk off and be that, that individual? Like I lost almost, I'm not going to say they, the, the, the feeling, but the perception was, I don't care how my team does. I just care about how I did today, you know, whether it's win or lose. And that was the culture I created. So I wasn't teaching them anything. I was just teaching them, hey, if you are, because all these kids are going to be aspiring. The majority of them do play college now right. at that level. At some point, I was like, this is going to be mandatory for you to do. Your college coach shouldn't be having to tell you this by the time you show up there. It's, it's just the facts. And it, it was just the same idea is you have a job to do regardless of the result that you put on there because David said it earlier. Your coach's job is on the line with how the team does, not how you do as an individual. And that's a tough sell for a lot of kids that have grew up in an environment was – 
<laughs> I don't care about how anybody else does. I just care about how I do. And so that team, once you create the culture, I had a couple of good friends that actually lived out closer. Amir Delich played on the Illinois team, which is one of the, probably one of the best college teams I think ever assembled. Mm-hmm. Came out just as it, um, just in passing. He lives out close to in Windermere. Okay. His wife does, or his family does, where we're at. And he came out and he just hit with our kids one day. And I near and dear to my heart when he said this to me. He said he goes, the atmosphere out here with your kids is just like what I felt like at Illinois. It was just the culture of the atmosphere. It was like they're all really genuinely interested in how everyone else in the environment here. And I was like, wow, that's the best compliment I can get because I'm a team guy right. rather than them just worrying about there's a couple of kids that are kind of falling off that day in practice and whatnot. But the rallying by the other kids to get them and say, like, hey, we got this. Come on. We create that shouldn't be a coach's job. And, and, sure. and that's, that's what I'm talking about in regards to that event. When I did that event, I was like, I'm tutoring kids. I'm not teaching kids anything that they're not going to need to know at the next level. And I think that's, that's the part of the team concept that I, I would love more people to embrace, okay. whether it's on the high school team or not. I hit, I'm sorry. Uh, and reel me in if I go too far. Because, but you brought up something, and I think this speaks to your guys' success, is that you as an organization or a team, you are a bigger entity, as we spoke of previously, that you all wear your hats and are comfortable with the hats that you wear. Even though there's big-time coaches with big-time success, everybody does their role and does it well and historically has done so. And I think that starts and it makes it easier to permeate into your academies when the kids see what they're, the example that you guys have set and the way and the success that it has brought to you guys. And I think from, the, again, the tennis perspective of you got the, the pro who's got a hopper in the back of his car who's going one facility to the next, he's just teaching tennis. He's not teaching yeah, so the nuances yeah. of what is going, you're going to need right. if you're going to continue yeah. to play. Fi- finding your niche, finding your niche and using the rest of the group, the team, exactly. as a resource. For, and, and don't be afraid to ask yeah. for help. If, if somebody finds their niche, we started out at the facility. I'm actually kind of overseeing or was continually overseeing at James Creek. And we found our niche was on the female population yes. of high-level players mm-hmm. that wanted to aspire to play college tennis. And, and so that was our niche. Use people's resources, talk to David, and, and then start to develop some relationships with coaches. Um, and switching gears back, I want to talk about, you say you've got a lot of those kids looking to play college tennis. Oh. I want to switch back to kind of where we started, David, mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. okay, tell us about the actual recruiting process. Because a lot of people have this picture of this cloud of who knows, who do you call, and where does it work? Is mm-hmm. there a structure that can be walked through that just says, you do these things and it will work? How does that work? Yeah, well, first of all, I think every everybody's different. Everybody has different goals. So, you know, over the last 25 plus years, we've probably sent over 300 kids to play somewhere in college. Um, my job is to kind of help tell their story. So usually working individually with families works a lot better because I've got to listen. And, you know, some kids, you know, are really good when they're 10, 12, 13. Some don't start till they're 14. Um, you know, some walk in with U.S. News and World Report, you know, that lists the top 100 schools. And they're like, David, I don't care how much I have to write a check for. I want my kid to go to the highest rated school on this list. And the very next person comes in and goes, hey, David, I don't care where my kid goes to school. I just don't want to write a check. And, you know, and there's no, there's no right or wrong. My job is to kind of listen. Um, You know, and it's, it's, um, it's kind of been a blessing over the last 
25 years to, you know, obviously we've worked with hundreds of schools. Um, my job is to not only tell the, the kid's story, but also to work from the, the coach's side as well, because it's not, you're not trying to get one over on somebody and squeeze somebody in somewhere. Because um, if you try that, it's, it's might work for a year, but then the kid's not going to be happy or the school's not going to be happy. Then they're going to call me wanting to transfer. And then three years later, when you have a kid that you know, might actually be a great fit at a school, the coach is going to say, is this one for real? Or are you trying to, you know, get this one past me type of thing? You know, so I always, I always tell people that because I, um, you know, I want it to be a, a good fit. And sometimes, you know, I work just like a guidance counselor. You know, you've got a set of reach schools, realistic schools, and safety schools. And people typically spend 95% of their time stressing about the reach schools. Um, and oftentimes there's no real reason behind that other than they've seen that team on TV playing football or they see that they're a top 10, you know, school and they just think that's where they need to go. Um, you know, I always say, have you ever been on campus? No. Do you know the name of the coach? No. Do you know anybody on the team? No. Then how do you know you want to go there? You know? And so part of my job is to, you know, help them start the process, um, try to get them to be open-minded to a lot of different things. I typically like to start with a bigger list of schools. So some kids might have 25 or 30, you know, schools on their list. And then we try to work our way down because really you're just trying to marry one. It's not like you're trying to pick five. You're just trying to pick one. So the goal is, um, you know, you start, I start with a list of questionnaires, which just gets families kind of talking because it's not just a kid decision. It's, it's obviously it's a family. It impacts the entire family. So you want to get everybody involved. Um, and, you know, questions are, you know, starting to get them think about size of school, location, um, you know, where do they want to fit in the lineup? You know, do they want to go somewhere where they don't have to stress about being in the top six? Do they want to go somewhere where they just, you know, can say they're on the team? Um, you know, so that's, that's part of it. And then another question is, you know, some people, you know, they need athletic money. Some people might be able to qualify for academic money. Some people might be need-based, um, you know, and then understanding how that works. You know, a coach can help tag an application, you know, to help you get through admission whether you're getting money or you're not, because there are a lot of schools, you know, your Ivy Leagues, for example, they don't have athletic scholarship money, but coaches do have the ability to, you know, tag your application and, you know, help the requirements, um, you know, help you to be able to get into the school. So my job, um, we typically start in their junior year. Sometimes we have people that are a little bit anxious, and I always say, listen, if you're losing sleep and you're a freshman or a sophomore, I'm happy to talk to you. But you got to remember, we're talking about college coaches. I'm a coach, so I can say this. Like, some of them don't know where they're going to be in two years, you know, and, and a lot of them are working on, you know, next year's class. So even though they've this, got their own list of schools. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. So even though this is the most important thing to you, it may not necessarily be the most important thing to them. And you get one chance to make a first impression. So that's why I tell people, when do you want to make that first impression? Are you better, you know, when you're a, um, first semester sophomore or are you going to be better when you're a first semester junior you know and, and hopefully they're going to say first semester junior if not they should you know probably take some time off I guess <laughs> um, so and I also explain to people you know I think there's four parts to being a good college coach one can you teach tennis two can you communicate and can you you know can you manage a group of people three can you fundraise for your program and you know four can you recruit and and rarely do you find somebody that excels in all four of those areas. And there are a lot of great places out there where, you know, some of the coaches, they may not feel like, you know, their job is on the hot seat. So, you know, they may not spend as much time on recruiting. Uh, we've had kids that have, 
you know, tried to reach out to certain schools and, you know, got no responses after five emails. And I'm, and I'm, you know, that's where I'm like, okay, well, here's where I step in and I can reach out to the coach and say, listen, you want this person on your team. I'm not sure what you're doing. And, you know, and they'll come back and they'll say, you know, thanks for reaching out. I will follow up. And then, you know, so that's my job is to kind of help create the pathway to make the process easier. So it is very subjective. So we're not just looking at, okay, here's fill out this form and it's obvious as to what the next step is. There's a lot of different variables in that within each family. Yes, for sure. And that's, to me, that's the fun part. Cause you know, you talk about teaching tennis. If, if we were just teaching forehands and backhands, that gets old really fast. So, you know, you're working on trying to figure out how each kid thinks, how they learn, how they process things. And, you know, I might say one thing to you and then I've got to say the same thing to Bobby, but I might have to change the approach. So I think college recruiting is the same way. Gotcha. So, and that, that, that would morph into, yeah, I know we discussed it, you know, a lot of kids went through this recruiting process, UTR and you know, UTR, they're just number. And there are a lot of coaches that do gauge what their interest or their initial interest in a, in a prospective student athlete. And they might look at their UTR to say, but that doesn't tell the whole story. I, I mean, what David does, and it has a little bit to do with it, and I'm not, it's not that I'm downplaying the importance of some recruiting services or whatnot, but we're, you know, David and us at UTA, we're around these kids on a regular basis. So we know a lot more of the, the subjectivity of the things that we have to consider when recommending someone to a college coach, right? We, we're seeing these kids on a regular yeah. basis, whether it's a financial, whether it's how, how is this coach going to deal with the parents of this child because there's there's a lot of different nuances associated with it but utr in some cases i totally understand the the idea but i'm i like to tell the story about utr being more than just a number and there's still this fascination is it's going up it's going down i'm a 13 i'm a 12 i'm an 11 i'm not going to qualify for this school let david or i or or a couple of us maybe have a discussion with a coach that might not downplay the importance of a UTR from a competitive, but understand the other variables associated with you possibly becoming part of their program. And that makes me think of our conversation with Billy Pate and Chase Hodges and a bunch of conversations, but yes. with Billy Pate specifically, who says, if you're not a eh, whatever UTR number is like, you're just not playing for me. And it may not be that not objective well. of a decision. If I've got somebody like UTA in my corner that can say, Hey, Billy, I know he's a 12, you need a 12.5, whatever that is. Is it, is it good to have you on my side to be able to call Billy? We use him as just the example, but be able to call that college coach and say, you need to check this kid out. He's good for the team. Here are all the, the X factors. David's going to downplay this, but he doesn't need to be downplaying this. When, when David's getting phone calls from college coaches, okay, there's a reason they're calling him and it's more associated with, what do you think? Then it is the number idea. Now, and there are coaches that you're absolutely right that are going to basically say they're not playing for me. But if David or somebody was help them navigate, hey, this kid, he's come to come to work all day. He's going to be the best team player you've ever seen. He's going to, and he's very careful in how he does it. Okay, because he's not going to recommend somebody that he knows is going to come back to bite him. And he said this earlier. He's not going to recommend somebody that in a couple of years is going to be like, what were you thinking by recommending this kid? So Yeah, but there are times, though, where, you know, there's going to be some tough fits. I mean, we, I, can, 
I mean, one that came to mind was probably 15 years ago. I told the coach, I said, this girl's going to come in and play number one for you. I said, she's going to be a pain in your rear. She might not get along with the other girls, but she's going to win you a lot of matches. <clears throat> and she stayed there for two years and did exactly that. She called. She said, I'm ready to transfer. Coach called me after that and said, I just want you to know, you told me exactly what I was going to get, and I got it. Get it. And, I, and I was willing to take the chance. So that was good. But getting back to your um, Billy Pate story, you know, you know, certain schools, yeah, they, they might have a baseline as far as what they're looking for. Correct. UTR is a starting point. Get me close. Yeah. Yep. But I would turn around and I would go to Billy um, and I'd say, all right, well, this kid's at 12-5 and you're looking for a 13. I go, how good a coach are you? <laughs> the other thing. He's going to be even better his sophomore well, well, year if you because think I'm you're gonna, as good because as Because I'm going to be able to say, I, I've watched this kid for the last eight years. I know, yep. I know what this kid has in the tank. I know where he's, where he's heading. And, and that goes back to the telling of the story of the kid. And, um, you know, UTR is just a it, – it's a number, like we said. But I always tell families, I said, you know, think of it this way. A coach has got 8 to 14 spots of picking people they get to hang out with for 20 hours plus a week plus weekend trips for four to five years. I go, do you think they're going to go based on a number? I go, is that how you do it at work? I go, you know, there's, there's also a personality you better that goes be likable. along with it. You need to be, yeah, <laughs> likable to their program, yes. right? Likable to their culture, you know, and I think that that's a, a, a part of it. You know, one of the things, you know, that comes up too, um, families will be like, oh, well, you know, this school wouldn't be interested because they just take foreigners, you know, and, and I'm like, well, wait, well, first of all, I go, that school may be a great fit. I said, most college coaches would tell you, you know, our job is to get the best team that we can get. I'd love to get Americans, you know, but they may, you know, not be at the level that we need to, to be at. Um, and, you know, I, I had two teammates at Virginia. One guy was from Haiti. One guy was from Mexico. They were two of my favorite guys on the team. Two guys that I could not stand was a guy from Georgia and a guy from Tennessee. So, you know, I would not be discouraged by that at all. I think, um, you know, I've never had a, a coach say, you know, I'm not interested in Americans. Um, but what they will say is, hey, my job is based on how we do. So I, I think that, you know, being open to learning about different coaches and their philosophies and, and, and really, you know, I can't emphasize enough, like being, and you can start this at any age, just getting on campuses, watching practices, going to see matches, you know, because stuff you see on the internet, you don't get to see in person. Like being able to watch how, a coach and a team interact with each other, being able to watch how teammates interact with mm -hmm. each other. You know, um, yes, it's great to win, but, you know, how do they handle themselves when they lose? You know, I was fortunate. I played for a coach who watched me lose a match at Kalamazoo one and one, and, and he still wanted me on the team. And I said, why'd you want that? He said, well, you know, uh, I saw you, how you were fighting at 5-1 in the second set. You know, you came off the court and could have a conversation with me. You know, I'm not expecting people to, to win all the time but I'm expecting people to compete. And maybe that's a bit of it as well, is that, that work ethic. Yeah. And I think that's why you've got a lot of non-Americans on the team, and maybe this is a question to ask and say, okay, the guys, I, play, I played NAIA, and it was a lot of guys from outside the country, and they worked so hard. And it might have just been because that's what it took. It was that much more important to them to be there at the school playing college tennis than it was for me because mm -hmm. I was just there for my father to pay the bills for four years so I could put a band together. Playing tennis was fun. I enjoyed it. But it wasn't 
a life-changing concept where some of these kids, maybe in the Atlanta area, they're a little spoiled, Bobby. I think you've, you've made a comment of that to say they don't really need it. There's that work ethic isn't there. But I think it's, I think it, it's, it's cultural. They, they, and I don't say that from I, for the sport itself, first of all, because it's not a team sport, because better or worse, your parent is playing a very big role in the situation and the, the indoctrination from where your parent comes from. There's so many things that we can't control. Again, what I, what I hear and what I love and what they do is what we're trying to do is try to break down the walls and some of the things that get in the way of tennis's success. And part of what they do, because they're so good about being a team within their organization, wearing their own hats, they have the ability to offer things that most coaches don't feel they have the expertise, the time, whatever reason, because they have other things that they have to do. I get it. The problem with tennis historically is the coach, if, if I don't know what I'm doing, I won't, I'm too stuck up or too, to call David Stolle and say, David, help me. I have a great kid. Yeah. You know, could you help this, you know, the family with the process? Now, he can't give the personal endorsement because he might not know the kid as well, but at least he can be a, a gateway and start the child in the right process. And I, I think that's across the board a problem with tennis is that we don't communicate enough as coaches to say, hey, this just because I don't, this is not a, a poor reflection on me, I don't have the time. How can I find the kid? When I was at White Combs, I had a couple of good kids. It was like, listen, I can't coach you here. That doesn't mean I can't. I wouldn't love to. Of course, I'd love to coach a kid who's actually a good tennis player. I'm going to send you to Winward. Go see the guys at Winward. They're close by. They they can provide for you what I can't provide. I think that's the responsibility of a, a quote unquote coach. And yeah, that, yeah. that takes me to to I'm probably going where you're thinking, Stuart, which is those recruiting services, which is the system that helps the coach. Maybe my coach in high school doesn't have the time or the energy or even just the expertise. I mean, so many right. tennis coaches are convinced these days they have to wear all the hats. If mm -hmm. I'm just working for myself, we got a lot of those guys here, yep. really just working for myself. I got to wear all that. I got to do everything or I'm going to lose this kid or yep. he's no longer going to be my client. But I think the, I think the families are going to appreciate going to someone who is an expert in that and you guys know a lot about those. There are plenty of recruiting services. That's I can right. go to the .nets out there that yeah. kind of help me through that system. I think UTR has all their new magic systems that are supposed to help, and right. I haven't researched any of that. So i got to right. lean on you guys to help me understand those services. Well, we, we meet with Ch Chase, a good friend of mine. Chase actually, Roanoke, uh, Roanoke, Virginia, where I was actually a coach, he was actually, there are two rival country clubs in the area, and Chase was actually one of the directors there, Chase Hodges, which is Long story short, <laughs> tennis, tennis is a small circle of people. But when we had this discussion with them, it was like, yes, the recruiting service is going to – getting back to Bobby's point about the recruiting services versus the personal, the, the touch and, the, and, and or whether it's UTR. Telling people the story is the end. We talked to Chase about this. Um, getting back to having somebody as a number and that being an important idea. Not to tell you the whole story. And it doesn't tell the recruiting stories. What if I told you that the majority of the backdraw matches, this person pulls out? Just don't play because they don't want it to impact their UTR. And I know Chase alluded to this in the podcast when he did it. Yeah. It all impacts your UTR. So let's, let's get rid of that. It's idea. a misunderstanding. But, yeah. it's a, but it's a misunderstanding. But the bottom line is we still have kids and parents allowing that to happen. Even in the USDA circle, you can look back at USDA tournaments across the board and look at the backdraw 
and the consolation matches and how many kids are pulling out, right? If you're a college coach and we're able to tell you a story, and but you're able to look and see withdraw, 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 and unless the kid has an injury in her, that tells me a lot about what I don't want on my team. A kid who's not ready to be out there, and going back to your point about the foreigners versus the Americans, they just want to play. They want to play matches. And if it's important to a coach that this person just plays matches, regardless of a win or a loss, or how it's going to impact their UTR, that's a character flaw that somebody needs to tell the story to before it bites you in the butt. And that, and, and is that, that a character flaw or is that a coaching mistake, well, a parenting it, mistake? Because it, it, it's not it, the kid it, usually making that decision, right? Could be. Could be because we hear the kids, you know, this this UTR, they're, they're studying on a daily basis, their UTR number. And it's like, if I play this kid, it's going to go up or down. I don't know if it's the parent, but I tell you right now, it is coach's responsibility either to intervene one way or the other and basically say, okay, we don't do that. We play, okay, unless there's an injury. And when there's a fine line, we, we play matches. We don't let, you know what I'm saying? That, that's something that I think we need to tell the story and do, do a lot better job of is when I look at backdraw matches and I say, I'm not playing, but I actually have heard kids say, that's not going to help my UTR, so therefore I'm playing out. So that's, a, that's a problem. I, I think, though, the issue is a, techni- a technology problem. <clears throat> when, we were, when everybody here was, was growing up, I learned how good I was February of the next year when a little book showed up at my house that told me what I was ranked. Yeah, at that point, true, true, true. I thought about it for about a day, and I was like, oh, it's okay. Oh, it's better than I thought, right? And then cool. the next day, I went back out to playing, right? So we spent all of our time focusing on getting better, where now with technology, you know, we're human beings. We like control. We like to be able to manipulate things, right? And so we're always trying to, you know, figure out the system, right? And so um, we're, we've gotten away from doing the things that we need to do to get better. So what are you doing to your game to improve? Not what tournament am I not playing so I can't hurt, you know, my rating? You know, I, I had a girl, um, you know, she wanted to be top. This was probably 10 years ago, she wanted to be top 50 in the South. And I said, great. I said, how are you going to do it? She goes, I got it all worked out. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go to Little Rock, Arkansas, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm going to go to Jackson, Mississippi. I'm going to play these events. Uh, the draws will be weaker. I'll pick up more points and I'll be top 50 in the South. And I looked at her and I said, well, that's one way of doing it. I said, well, here's another way. And she looked at me and she was ready, ready to write something down. I said, why don't you start beating people that are top 50 in the South? And she looked at me like I had three heads, and I was—I walked away, and I was like, you know, that's where I feel like we had a—we have a—we have a problem, uh, a perception problem. You know, UTR came around, you know, a few years later, and 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 from a recruiting side of things, because um, you, you notice we haven't talked really anything about USTA rankings. You know, we've been talking about U, UTR. Still got to get into Kalamazoo right now, right? And right. play the Orange Bowl, and yeah. you got to figure out how to do that. So you got to manage both, right? Right. But you know, ten years ago, when I'm talking to a coach in Michigan, I'm saying, "Hey, this kid is, you know, eight in Georgia." Well, that translates to, you know, twelve in the Midwest, and that translates into the top thirty in Peru, and you know, so you're 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 trying to translate. So the one nice thing about UTR. At least it, it makes us closer to be able to compare apples to apples. And it's, it's taken uh, the international part of the sport, and it's kind of unified it. So, And even, I, even Chase said, it helps me from making a mistake. Hmm? It doesn't help him make the decision. It, Correct. It, it, the number, like, yes. like Stuart, you said, it's more than just a number, Correct. but it doesn't tell the whole story. Right? Maybe we just taglined mm-hmm. UTR. <laughs> um, but it, it was saying it helped me from making a mistake. It gets me in a better apples to apples, as yeah. you said, point of view. Yeah. So from a recruiting side of things, it, it has made it easier. But to my other point, 
the technology side of things, I've never had anybody say, hey, I think my UTR is too high. You know, it's, it's typically... Mine probably is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I think kids and parents, you know, I, I think they're, we're way too into technology. Like, and we're getting away from what parts of my game am I trying to work on? And if I'm <clears throat> working on something, guess what? I might take one or two steps back. But if I'm playing a tournament that weekend, <clears throat> am I going to try those things that I'm working on? Probably not. I'm going to go back to what I'm comfortable with because I'm worried about the technology that's going to happen Monday morning. You know, so I, I feel like that hurts us. Um, it's one of the reasons we brought up this T2 league is if I'm not worried about my UTR for a match, what would I do? Mm -hmm. If I'm not worried about college recruiting for a match, hey, what happened over here? Oh, I served and volleyed the whole match because I got a, a doubles thing coming up and I'm... Uh, I, uh, I stayed at the baseline. I, I just hit only drop shots. Whatever it is that I get to work on that, I get, that we did back, I said we all say back in the day, right? That we did saying, hey, you know what? I went to work on something. I needed to work on something. We look up and we watch the professionals every once in a while. Why did Alcaraz lose to that guy? And you go, okay, maybe he was working. That's my first thought is maybe he was working yeah. on something. Maybe even those guys do a little bit of that. But also managing schedules. Is that part of you? you yes. is, that's got to be part of it, right? Adaptability. Yeah. Adaptability on a, on a, on a match-by-match basis on, at the next level. But, it, but look at the success. Go back to our point earlier about team atmosphere. The success of someone like, whether it's a John Isner or whether it's a Ben Shelton now, they're all talking about their college experience. They don't just talk about And it's so well-rounded in when they speak about it it almost sounds like that's the highlight of their life. I mean, those people are going to relish in these these team events. I mean, John Isner always talks about his time at University of Georgia. Ben Shelton is on a regular basis. Brian Shelton, who actually was coach at you know, Georgia Tech, you know, did a fabulous job, I think. Um, Amanda McDowell, who was NCAA singles champion that worked with, uh, went to Georgia Tech, you know, came through our program or whatever. Um, but these people, the well-rounded aspect of, of those people and their adaptability, I look back and I say, I, that kid genuinely loved college, right? And that, not just the success on the pro tour. When I watch Ben Shelton, that's what I, I see a college player. I don't see a professional tennis player right now. I see a college player that's, that worked it wasn't distraught over losing an individual match, might have been working on things. I'm sure, he, I think he played at one point, it started there at six singles. Or, and it worked his way up high in the lineup. I'm sure when he lost a match. Because he was a football player originally. Yeah, I mean, was, that's but, one of the reasons why he's probably but, not burned out already. But, but, exactly. But I, right, exactly. It's just, I, just that atmosphere of him and losing a match but feeling like his team was still, still successful, I think is just huge for kids. So whether it's playing high school tennis, I have never once had a kid, and I know there was coaches out there who say, don't play high school tennis. Coaches don't want to talk about it. I've never once done it because I understand the atmosphere that's around it. So, More important than worrying about the math teacher giving your player bad advice. I mean, way nobody's, more important. Nobody's right. screwing up their the forehand. The majority of the high-level players are going to be the best player on the high school team. Right. Well, you got a job to do. Bring up the rest of the group. Right. Right. That's Help your them job. Out. And that was, out. A, that was a tough thing we had growing up. And I, I point at you, David, just because you talked about the – back in the day and how we used to find out what our mm -hmm. ranking was. We yeah. physically wrote down our scores, yeah. trying to remember <laughs> them, right? But then when you look at the high school time frame, I played high school tennis with Jason Steele, who's one of the coaches in the Forsyth area South that's helping us. Yeah, that's, that's helping us. We played high school on the same team at the same time, and, but we didn't practice with the team. 
because the rest of the team I was recruiting off the chess team. It was like, guys, all right, you're tall. Here, stand here and whack the ball when it comes to you. But we don't have that problem anymore with, with the numbers in certain counties mm -hmm. where I'm picturing this, though, is the better players. It comes back to that my kid, want, I always want him to play with a better player. Mm -hmm. We all have a good, good answer for that. I'm surprised it's still a thing because all the coaches we talk to have a good answer for that. But the better players being part of a team and being able to bring in more than themselves and see that larger picture for themselves is more than just the UTR. It's more than just w even what my coach says, yeah, 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 he's a good kid. But is he a good teammate? Yeah. Is, is he somebody that can handle adversity? Is he somebody that can help somebody else handle adversity? You know, because, I mean, what's tennis? It's a microcosm of life. You know, and typically how you handle yourself on tennis court is going to be how you're going to you know, handle situations in life. So, you know, we use it as a way of getting to connect with people and the next generation and hopefully, you know, be impactful so that the way they handle and learn how to handle adversity will be, they will take that with them for the rest of their life. Making, small, making better people, right? A small yeah. sample size of that. I remember, recall a story that happened in the second year that it was a national spring team championship and they awarded gold medals to every, each participant on the team. There was a year, there was a second year I was there, there was a team that won. I did not coach this team. There was a team that won, and one of the individuals that played in the younger age division did not win one single match, and he still won a golden ball or a gold medal because he was part of the winning team. He lost every single match, doubles and singles, and he still won. And there was an uproar from not okay, I cannot believe this individual won a gold medal and didn't win a match. Didn't tell the whole story. The kid was there like he was participating in something bigger than me. It's not like he lost every match and he was wearing it on his chest. He was cheering on the rest of his teammate for the rest of the week. So I was like, and there were actually parents, I believe, who were writing in on this story saying that the kid didn't deserve a gold medal. And so I, I, How many I'm Alta teams? So my point was, I, I almost would refuse to coach if this kid didn't win a gold medal. I yeah. would never coach there again because this kid was part of the team. Right, and my point is, I could not believe there was an uproar that this kid didn't lose a match because they don't know what this kid was doing. Now, if this kid was running off and sulking and crying because he lost every single match, okay, it'd be one thing different. Probably didn't deserve it, but they let the coach make that decision. For the, This kid lost a match and was still cheering on the rest of his team the entire rest of the day through, through not winning a match. Well, guess what? Ceremony. He got a gold medal just like everyone else on that team did. I go to a baseball Crazy reference. Story. I go to a baseball reference, of course, Bobby. I strike out every time in yeah. the World Series. My team still wins. Do yeah. I not get you my get ring? You get your ring. You get a ring. You get a ring. And that's where the team aspect just makes yeah. a huge yeah. well, makes a huge difference. As we always talk about, we get in these roundtables and four more shows topics have <laughs> already popped up in my mind. Be, being by far the oldest at the table, though I have Stuart, I think, by three weeks, I laugh at you guys talking about technology. My, my idea of technology was, well, I'm so old, we didn't even play tournaments. That, you know, I, people ask me, did you play, what was your ranking? I was like, ranking? I was 20th at my club. I didn't need to go play someplace to lose. I could lose any day of the week. Now, I didn't know that we had Greg Kasha, Chris Garner, Randy Vigmastad, Sven Saluma. I mean, there were some serious players playing. Where the, the, obviously, we were coached by King Van Ostrand, John Van Ostrand, Molly. Van, Molly played at Wimbledon. So, you know, a whole different story. But I didn't need to go anywhere to be humble. I could go out any day of the week and get my butt handed to me. So that, that's number one. The other thing that I hear and I scream and I always laugh about, obviously, the culture of the sport and how much responsibility does that come 
from a higher being. I, we, we talk about it, the idea of tennis etiquette, how that is, the, 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 the importance of it has died. And, you know, I, I get things evolve, and it, it might be old-fashioned, but I think there's, there's always something that you should take out of that, and it's just the idea of the respect for the game. I think we, we lo- we're laughing a little bit about what we are on in Atlanta with the idea of the Alta player. This is a mommy-driven sport, in my opinion. In Atlanta, tennis is mommy-driven. And mommies played Alta, which is great. We have a bunch, you know, unbelievably successful, but how many of them judge their value as a tennis player? You'll ask them, how'd you do today? And immediately they give you a won or loss. I didn't ask you whether you won or lost. I asked you how you did today. Did this stuff that we're working on in practice come into being? Well, you know, and knowing, as David said, well, you know they're not going to work on their second top spin serve because they got to get it in. So they're going to tap it and they're going to wonder why the second return was nailed at them. I'm like, guys, you really, if you want to win, you need two strokes in Alta. Now, do you want to be a tennis player? That, that's a whole different discussion we can have. So I think the culture, be it the sport or being where we are at, because of how tennis is, is evolved here, is, makes it very challenging. And then the, the interesting one, is we just talked about too, as we're seeing more co- professionals coming out of the college ranks, do you see that changing the dynamic as well in what you know, the future holds for tennis? Because you, you immediately, with COVID, there was a fear that men's tennis might go away mm-hmm. entirely. But now all of a sudden, you're seeing more and more kids who have gone to college coming out on the tour and having success. And this is a little bit different. And, you know, is that going to change the way we look at at college and the way maybe in this country will make people wake up to the fact it's not about... I, I think I think it bridges. I, help, I think it helps bridge the old philosophy, which was the young kid who was becoming an elite tennis player. The first thing on their mind was, I want to play professional tennis. Mm-hmm. I think by seeing this evident with... I don't know the whole story, but I do know what I see with my eyes. I think seeing the success of some of these college players to do it, I think there's another, it helps bridge. It's a very viable option. Yes. And, a lot, and I'm not just talking about the Division One athletes. I'm talking about whether it's Division Two, whether it's JUCO, for, for the right reasons, to be able to, the first thing on a kid's mind, which near and dear to my heart is the first thing, I, I aspire to play at the next level, and the next level is not professional tennis the next level is entertaining if i can check a box and play collegiately Mm -hmm. and they're seeing it and it's in front of them and i think that's where it really helpful and don't you think that's going to help the idea of of cultivating the team more because now like you said when i was growing up listen i wasn't going to play professional tennis my my coach looked at me and said listen you're 120 pounds you're graduating high school you could probably with your ability your effort we could play d1 you're going to sit out a year we got to put about 40 pounds on you. I didn't want to sit out a year. I knew I was still going to be 5'9 at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to play professional. Mm -hmm. So growing up in New York, we didn't have the the collegiate sport powerhouses that it is down here. So it just wasn't part of my thinking. So it wasn't it. So I I think that's great the way it's going now that it's becoming. So that should lend itself more to these kids getting exposed to a team environment, hopefully Mm -hmm. earlier, and maybe getting rid of some of that mommy and daddy influence I mean, I've never passed judgment, but you, you look at people who may, may have foregone co- uh, the college route to play professionally, you know, the, the Corey Goffs or the Coco Goffs and whatnot. I would never downplay this. She's very successful in what she's doing. But, I, but you don't know 
if she was to go in college, how that might have impacted her professional career. I'm not gonna, I don't know if it's a financial decision for a lot of people. I don't know if it's more the fact that they just want to be, they want to forego mm-hmm. college for whatever the reason. But I, I think it, it teaches just so much more that you'll be equipped to deal with the adversity when you're playing professionally. I look at people like when I watch, and I say this to my students all the time, I look at people that are constantly out there and don't look happy. Yes. And it's a couple of professional tennis players that stand out when I watch them play. They're constantly looking at their coach's box for assistance, Mm -hmm. hands on the head and whatnot, versus kids or people that have gone through the college. Like, I've, I've been here before. I've done this rather than looking at mom, dad, or, or, or so forth on a regular basis for guidance on why are they failing today, right? You don't see it as much in the college ranks. I'm not used to I think college is a great bridge right yeah. now to the program. There's a bridge. bigger jump from high school tennis to college tennis than there is from college tennis to pros. Sure. Sure. So, yes. And I think that you know, college tennis, one, to your point earlier, it gets people out on their own. They're making decisions. They're turning into adults. You know, mm-hmm. they're living and, and getting acclimated by themselves. And that's what they need to do when they're on the tour. Yes. So why not be at a place where somebody, in many cases, are paying you a lot of money to chase a yellow ball, get an education? You're not pushing all your chips into the table like you would be if you, you just go it. straight from juniors to, to pros. And, um, you know, you're, you're making lifelong friends and you're going to be in an environment that you, re- you wouldn't get on the Pro Tour. So I think you're, you're finding more of those players are enjoying it and they're, they're seeing they're getting the complete experience in a team sport, which is going to help them later. And, and, and to our point, we did something with uh, Tim Siegel, former mm-hmm. coach, you know, his oh, son, yeah. if you're familiar with the story. Yeah. Yes. And to do the event, the amazing part to me was his teammates yes. from Arkansas 40 years ago, still come. Yep. What, what do you need is Tim? And they all show up and it, they still are, that bond is still there. And you talk, you know, we're all, there's no atheist and foxhole type mentality. You know, all the great parts about the team environment, you make friends as a commonality that you might have never met before. That is correct. And, and not to laugh about it because it wasn't dwelled upon, when, you know, th- thought about, you know, you hear all these kids now with the mental health issues. Couldn't getting growing up putting it back a little while, getting in that environment where you feel like you have a support system. Because let's face it, what does Novak have? Even though Novak came out, he's got a team. Mm-hmm. He's got eight guys that travel with him. Number 200 in the world does not have eight people traveling with him, Correct. right? They, they don't have that luxury of having a team. There's very few people, at the, even at the elite level, that have that team in their box with them. You know, most of them, if you look at who, you know, and, and how few people make money in tennis, it's a different thing. So how can we do expose this more and make this more of the route that should be taken or looked at seriously mm-hmm. because it's going to have, my, my friend, and we you probably all know Andre Janisak, you know, Andre played top level North Carolina. He said, Bobby, tennis, as you said, tennis prepared me for life. I got to hear no a lot. It, it prepared yeah. me for sales. I lost a lot of matches. I lost a lot of points. Well, yeah. a lot of people tell me no in the business world, too. Yep. It, it comes full circle. I like that. Back to tennis is a microcosm of life, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> I've got one more thing I want to ask before I ask you guys a king of tennis question. I'll give you each of that because we're, uh, we're running down here. Uh, UTA 360. Who wants to give me, you got a short version, you got a 30-second version or a, a three-minute version. You guys got a cool thing that you're helping kids get, it's part of the helping kids get into college thing, right? Uh, it, for 
yeah, kids in our program. Basically, yep. we're just we're looking at tennis, and it's now become more than just hitting balls, right? So what we try to do is partner with a various, whether it's an orthopedic, sports psychologist, nutritionist, um, workout person, stretching person. Um, so we we just try to connect with experts in the field, you know, in the Atlanta area that are able to spend some time, you know, doing seminars, um, you know, with our kids and and really helping them, you know, become fully equipped to be the best player. And as we talked about, it's, it's physical, mental, psychological, how do you, you know, handle injuries and, and things like that. So it's just, you know, one way that we just try to do something to be, as we first started with, we're trying to create things that we wish we had when we were growing up. And if we can make the tennis world better than when we started, then, then we're doing something right. Not, like that. not, not trying atmosphere. to tackle right. Not trying to tackle it all by ourselves. Yeah. But go ahead and using other people as resources, experts in the field to try and create what would be a comprehensive athlete. Comprehensive means it's more than just like what David said. More than hitting forehands, backhands, and hitting big serves. There's a, there's nutrition. There's other aspects of it. So, not being afraid to say we need help, like Bobby mentioned earlier, and going out and finding some experts in the Atlanta area because they're here. The, the people that near and dear to their heart, this is their specialty, and be, not being afraid to say, hey, can you assist us with this because this is not our specialty, and that's the team aspect, and that, you know, not, not trying to tackle the law by ourselves, but go ahead and reach out to other people that might be able to you know, help our group get better and become more comprehensive. Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. So to finish up, I've got a king of tennis question. It's one of, the favorite, one of my favorite things is – I'll let you guys decide. It doesn't have to be college recruiting specifically, but sometimes in this case, I would say, all right, college recruiting, is there anything, if you were king of tennis, is there anything you would change? But I'll allow you to zoom out if you want to about anything in tennis. But if you do want to stick with college recruiting specifically, I'm good with that as well. But I'll ask you each individually. I'll start with you, Stuart. And I'll say, if you were king of tennis, whether it's college recruiting specifically or that pathway or anything in the tennis world, whether it's Atlanta related, is if you were king of tennis, you could just make a decision, snap your fingers, whatever it is. Is there anything you would do or change? I would, I would love to be in, whether it's USDA or UTR offices one day with the higher ups, higher ups and basically figure out a way to make team, uh, whether it's doubles, or whether team events become extremely prevalent for the health and sanity of those that are only playing individual tournaments, singles only, and highlight it. The only way to do it is possibly to get more points for team events, higher level, or even doubles events, which I know is a, a tough sell in an individual sport, but to, to actually glorify it and bring it back, the importance of doubles. Uh, the doubles and or team events rather than just every weekend multiple tournaments that are basically singles driven um for a while i have not found one kid that is used to playing individual singles events ever said to me i prefer or i really like doubles and i love team events and it's i think it's because of the breath of fresh air so if it came for tennis i would highlight or glorify more of those events even if it was on the professional tour which i know it's not going to sell so, or you, whether it's U.S. Open or whatever, I find it amazing that they only show the finals of doubles, right? But or whatever it is, whether it's mixed doubles or just that whole concept of bringing that back, bringing that whole concept of glorifying it, whether it's the Davis Cup, whether it's the Labor Cup, 
get more involved in those type of team events because I think you'll find that the individuals that are participating find them very relieving as opposed to constantly battling it each week on having to judge their own results rather than their team results. Good for mental health. Yes. Good for the yes. future the of tennis, getting yes. into league tennis, talking Atlanta right. specifically. So we need a format and we need an incentivization system. Yes. All right. Call me next week. I need to answer <laughs> format incentivization. Uh, my king of tennis response is going to be a little bit more geared towards tournaments. I think we should have some tournaments during the course of the year where when the kids uh, sign in, the parents also get to um, randomly select another player in the draw, and they have to go watch that player play as opposed to watching their own child play. And uh, I think uh, by the end of it, then... Parents are going to be less stressed because they're going to get to watch somebody else play and hopefully enjoy the sport of tennis. Their child is going to be able to tell the parent at the end of the, of the day how, how their match went, and <clears throat> then they can be happy for the rest of the day. So how are you and, going to incentivize me as the parent to not watch my own child rather than just drawing a rule? I, well, I think there's a lot of parents out there that would like to have less stress in their life. So... Hopefully you'd want to do it. Stress-free tennis. Stress-free Stress tennis. tennis. That's exactly for right. For the parent. I'll, I take like it, it. I'll take it another direction, which I think this is a great idea. It also allows the parents to have more interaction. I mean, I, I always tell the story. I played tennis from the time I was 13, and this is what I do for a living. I'm 58. My mother has seen me play tennis one time mm -hmm. in my life. She never missed a baseball game. In a baseball game, there was a crowd. In a tennis match, you're isolated. You were in, in New York, you were behind glass, so you were looking down. So the ability to feel like there's a purpose for you to go there, and then, oh, by the way, look at another child's, child's demeanor and sit there and say, oh, I don't want my child to act like that, or <laughs> I do want my child to, look like, to act like that. I think that's, uh, that's one of the best mm. things I've ever heard. Mm. I, I, I love the absolute idea, and it goes back to what Stuart was saying, and I think it encompasses everything, the ability to, for people to step out of their comfort zone. So important as we talked about, listen, you're not going to be better until you're comfortable stepping out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So love it. Very it, true. It, it, love very, it. Very, very interesting. <laughs> same thing with my mother. My mother actually knew everyone on my son's baseball team stats. Mm -hmm. She knew them by name. Yep. She knew how to cheer for them yep. and she knew what their stats were yep. and not just her grandchild. Yeah. So it, 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 that idea it's a camaraderie. Is, it, it is more of that. But again, that's the team aspect. She, you know, she it, wasn't it's better than what I was going to come up with, which was more <laughs> of that uh, searching for Bobby Fisher thing where you got to stick all the parents in the basement because they're not allowed to be <laughs> in the room because the parents are awful yes. and we don't want you around. Yes. We'll just have you watch on the screen. Yeah. We, just maybe we need more of where the Atlanta Tennis Open has their their air conditioned suite and all the parents have to go up there and you have to sit next to the parent Yes. that your kid is playing against, and you guys have to cheer and figure that out? Well, it, it would teach the parents to make the whole environment. I mean, I literally heard a story about, a, I think we were talking about it yesterday, where the child wouldn't play another tournament because the, the, the opponent's parents were yelling at them, mm -hmm. and the kid walked off the court crying. It's, no, this is, that would never happen no. anyplace else. You'd get tossed. Why yeah. does it happen here? That, that's a cultural thing that... Like I said, I yeah. think that's a great... We a I think we just to touched fix. on another segment. We Jumping in the next one, exactly. <laughs> David Stoley, Stuart Russell, Bobby Schindler, as always. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, great. thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. We'll guys. do it again. Thanks, guys. Well, there you have it. 
We want to thank Rejuvenate.com for use of the studio, and be sure to hit that follow button. For more tennis-related content, you can go to atlantatennispodcast.com. And while you're there, check out our calendar of tennis events, the best deals on Technifiber products, tennis apparel, and more. If you're a coach, director of any racket sports, or just someone who wants to utilize our online shop, contact us about setting up your own shop collection to offer your branded merchandise to the Atlanta tennis world. And with that, we're out. See you next time.